Hi, hello and welcome to another episode of the Long Ball Football Podcast, a weekly podcast by two brothers about all things football in Portugal. You're listening to myself, Albert, and as always, I'm joined by my brother, Barney. How you doing, Barney? How's things? Yeah, things are all very good. I mean, a um, couple of things I'm a bit confused about the this couple of coming weeks. Football, there seems to be a lot of teams playing a lot of days. <laughs> uh, it was one of the night, isn't there? Uh, so I'm just wrapping yeah. my head around that. And I'm always a, a bit of a mess when it comes to the cup games as well. I, I, I always get confused between the two. Um, but otherwise, no, I'm, I'm very good, man. How are you? Yeah, very good. You're quite right. It's Tassa de Liga, which is like, I feel like the most irrelevant cup competition in Portugal. You know, there's always one like... Well, trying to say that to the Ruger fan. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point, though. It's a good point. It's like in England, you know, we've got the Carabao Cup and stuff like that. <laughs> Everyone knows they're not really as important, but... No, you're quite right. I really grew up playing sporting, so there you go. It's a big, uh, big game for them. And then Academico de Viseu playing in, you know, against against uh, Porto next round. That's a big game for them. So yeah, yeah sorry, it. I shouldn't really, uh, shouldn't really take them in too much. I guess there's only, there's only so much football you can watch, isn't there? Out there, <laughs> when it comes to some of these cup games, just oh, cool. <laughs> <laughs> there is definitely. But um, it was another big weekend of Premier League football that we did watch a lot of because that's obviously where all the action is. Let's get straight into it, Barney, because we're going to cover a lot today. Obviously, every week we cover the top four, and but we also do some other games. So uh, there was a lot of action outside the top four as well. So stay tuned throughout the whole episode to listen to uh, our discussion of some big games from outside the top four as well. But let's start where we usually start, uh, at the top end of the table. I do want to start with Sporting, though, Barney. Um, they played Pizella and, well, let's just say they left it late to rescue um, a win after looking like they were really going to limp to another disappointing draw, I suppose. Um, it was a tricky first half. Obviously, they went ahead uh, through Pedro Gonzalez in the second half. And it was quite a controversial equaliser, I think, for Vizela that levelled the game. And it took a 95th minute penalty from Pedro Porro to rescue the three points. There's quite a lot to get our teeth stuck into with this game, I think, Barney. So I will let you kick off where you want to start with this one. Well, yeah, I think um, maybe we should talk about the, the two sort of controversial goals in my eyes. Obviously, the the Vizella equaliser where yeah. I, I in the moment I was, I was really happy for Alex Mendes because I really like that him as a player, um, and, yeah. uh, and he, he was obviously really happy with uh, the scoring. But you know, the fact that the the ball hits the referee and and it, he's supposed to stop the game, right? And I can't really think about why he didn't. Perhaps he he saw that Vizella kept possession, so he didn't need to. But you know, everyone else just stopped. So. I thought that was a bit of a poor call, and, and yeah. you know, I, I think in looking how the rest of the game panned out, you know, Sporting would be certainly I would completely be with them if they were unhappy with the game ending as a draw. If it had, if it had, I think that was a really bad decision. Yeah, the only thing I can think of with that call is that maybe the ref saw it as Vizela having possession of the ball, him then getting in the way, and then still having possession of the ball. So maybe if he sees it, that nothing has changed, then. Um, there's no reason to stop the game. But one, I don't think they quite had possession of the ball beforehand. I think it was like a contested challenge before rather than Rosella being in possession. And two, I think everyone just assumes you stop the game yeah. if they refresh the ball anyway. So I think that was the that was the thing really because all the sporting players stopped. Even the, some of the Rosella players stopped, although not Alex Mendes, obviously, who got on the end of a really good cross. So yeah, that was a, yeah, like you, I found a, a tough one to take because... On the one hand, I thought it was a good goal, but then if you're being honest with yourself, I think if, if you put a gun to my head and made me make a choice, I think I'd probably say it should have it should have been ruled out. 
you talk about two controversial goals though, Barney. Uh, were you like me? Did you also have reservations about the penalty? Oh, yeah. It was never a penalty. Like, I yeah. Mean, nah. It, 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 I guess it balanced it out, I guess. But, uh, you know, what was... Uh, is it, when's it the high foot against Paulinho? But then Paulinho... I, I don't know. It's, I didn't like it. Um, no. I don't think... All... I don't... Yeah, I don't think it was a high foot. I think it was actually because the foot made contact with his head. That's why the foul yeah. was given. But I can't... Yeah, Don't put I, your head in that position. <laughs> well, well, exactly. He's gone for the header. The, the, the defender's got every right to try and clear the ball. But I don't know. I suppose may, maybe it's a foul. If Paulinho had stuck his leg out to try and get the ball and, and he kicked his leg, would that be a foul? And therefore, yeah. should it also be a foul? It's quite confusing. But it did ultimately make the game quite difficult to, to take really because I suppose on balance I think it was a just result in that I think Sporting deserved to win the game but then you've got these two decisions that, that really kind of leave a sour taste in the mouth and we've had this exact conversation before Bonnie haven't we about the standard of refereeing and how it's kind of refereeing incompetencies that that take away the, the opportunity to enjoy a fair game because you know we're, we're left with this feeling of kind of unjust decisions being made that said, I, I did think um, I did think Sporting deserved to win. Vizela manager Talipa didn't agree. He thought his side deserved the point. I can kind of understand both sides. I think, you know, I, I, I thought Vizela played pretty well. They've been in good form recently, I think, and, and they did give Sporting a good game. I just have such a strange feeling about Sporting now, Barney. I had the same thing after the draw against Benfica where I'm confused about whether they're, they're improving or regressing, whether they're lucky or whether they're unlucky. Because on the one hand, you have, you know, the fact that they created a lot of chances in the first half. I thought they played some really good football. But then on the other hand, they couldn't finish a single one of those chances, no. you know. They didn't look like scoring. Then they got a bit lucky, obviously, with that penalty call to give them the win. But then they were unlucky to concede the goal. So I just can't quite work out how I feel about them at the moment. It just seems like not only are they not in the best form, but for some reason, they've just ended up in this kind of position of almost like mental turmoil, almost like there's just confusion and, and panic during a lot of the games. And I think that's that's what's really worrying more than just a kind of sticky patch of form. I think what this all boils down to is this any lack of change in this team. You know, things haven't been working perfectly for a long time. You know, and, and But Aaron just seems, still, just seems to stick with the same old thing. I think he even teased... Um, teased fans in a recent interview sort of saying like oh maybe we'll look at the changing the system next season and it's like <laughs> well I, I mean I don't know it's, it's a hard one to call up because yeah you're right then you, what you're saying there that they had a lot of chances you know I thought uh, Paulino should have certainly put a couple away um, I thought defensively they looked a bit better as well because it, let's be honest realistically Vizella didn't have that many chances and, and this is a, yeah. like you mentioned a Vizella team riding high in confidence after their recent performances and you know yeah. they could have they could they could have easily made something if 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 the if sporting hadn't sort of been defending as well as they would have thought in last year's or played better quietus as well but um yeah i mean i wanted to talk about pedro porro because you know as, as we've alluded to he finished that penalty extremely well as a really well taken penalty and obviously a big player for sporting a big player in this system you know playing on that right wing back you know he's offered I mean, he's in terms of goal contributions this season, it's now it's two goals. But I think more importantly, six assists. You know, he's one of these players creating in this in this system yeah. that Aaron continues to play. But the rumours of Tottenham, right? And and I think the, the they're they're playing now as we record in in the cup, and and, and he's on the bench. 
a lot of people are saying, you know, that's all signs pointing to him departing. And so I think that's the that's the crux of it all for me. You know, he's he's arguably that their best player, their most important player in terms of you know, like I mentioned, the way he what he can offer in in this team in this system, and they could be losing him. And then where are you after that? You know, it's a, yeah. it's a really strange season for them, and it's it's almost as if they're just petering out, aren't they? And and it's it's quite sad to see. Yeah. Well, I mean, I guess this time next week we'll be talking more about what actually happens but if he goes mate it'll be such a big loss such a huge, huge loss I think he I think he's their best player not just on form but also I think if you just boil it down to the most gifted players in that team I think you can make a big argument that he's their best player and and, and as you say in such a key position when when Nuno Mendes left they they struggled really to replace him I think it would be a bigger loss um if Pedro Poirot was to leave I just where do you find his replacement um, well, I think that's the thing that scared me the most, Albert, is that we've, we've seen a lot of rumours in the press recently about his replacement. That's what worries me. You know, that it's, it's the, the quality of play you're replacing. It's, it's it's so hard to replace. And I think you're right to highlight, it, you know, compared to Nuno Mendes because Nuno Santos is sort of filled in that position on the left side, but he can't do both. It took them a while to, the to get there as well, didn't it, Barney? It took them a while yeah. to find that consistency. And I, and I think the difference with... Horror is perhaps is he's so good at both. He's so good at attacking and he's so good at defending. He never really gets caught out, and I think that, that that's the big thing for me, really. Yeah, well, we'll have to keep an eye on that because, as you say, it hasn't gone away, has it? The Pedro Porro rumors. So a week left of the transfer window. I guess next week we'll do some kind of end of the window special, but we'll see if we're discussing that come next week. I think one. It was good to see um, Matteo Tang uh, get on for his debut for Sport. You know, this, the young Argentinian they 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 have signed, <laughs> um, but you know, it looked like a tiny little midfielder. You know, good passing, always looking over his shoulder, which I always like to see in a midfielder. But it's it's not a signing that's going to change your season or, or, or boost you. If, if we're being completely honest, you know that it you might add a little variety into those, their midfield options. But yeah, I. <laughs> It's hard to, I think what we're both struggling to do is sort of describe what what is going on at Sporting because it's quite it's a little surprising but also predictable and and with no real direction I guess. Yeah, I'm worrying that it doesn't seem to be turning around or things that be happening seem to be happening to turn the season around anytime soon. That's the biggest worry for me. Well, let's move on to uh, Braga and slightly more positive uh, outlook for Braga, who are obviously riding high, second in the table. Um, they also left it late though similar to Sporting Barn it was a 98th minute winner from Simon Banza it took for them to overcome Pastor Ferreira who I think are starting to show signs of improvement personally including in this game which we'll come on to um, it was a great game this one it was a really really good game of football I think I think you could see it coming with, with Pastos coming into better form and, and they were ready to give Braga a good test in this game obviously they got their first win of the season last week they were you know, they would want to to really kind of bounce back from that. I know they did a lot of work to try and get a big crowd in the stadium and, and I think that did pay off. Um, and I thought that's exactly what they did first half. They battled well. Um, they scored a great goal. But ultimately, I think they were undone by a, a, a team capable, really, of of scoring good goals as they did twice in this game. I thought it was two very good goals from Braga, both very good moves. Um, and Braga themselves not only showing their quality, but their fighting spirit as well. Um, so let's start with Braga for Barney because I don't think we should underestimate 
from their perspective as well, uh, what an important and hard-earned win this was. Yeah, certainly. I mean, they 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 didn't give up, did they? They um, I I, I can't stop thinking about what you, you described last week, Carol, when you said um that they've got the e- ecosystem right for their striking options because I think that is really important. And you know, and Ruiz and Vitinho for that first goal in the end. That I, for me, yeah, that's one of the goals of the season. I just absolutely love that move. You know, Sakira fizzing it in as he's done a lot this season, and that dummy and the run for Ruiz back across to Vitinho look great. And then Banza to come on, you know, and and. You need players like Banza who might have, you know, arrived at Braga thinking he was going to be the main man at was at the start and then hasn't yeah. been having to come on and, and do that, that fancy footwork, lovely finish. It just and that and that's what they need. That's the difference with this that's the difference with this Braga team this season is that they have these options, they're that they're riding high in confidence. And of course all with um, Ricardo Horta, you know, out of the team. Um sort of picking up an injury in the in the training session before the match and so I hope that that's not a long term thing because you know they, they, they need all the quality they, they can get to help them win but um, yeah and, and and the scenes at the end you know that's the sign of a team that are, <laughs> the, the, the fact all those players surrounding Banza you know that that's the sign of a team that uh, I was, as, as I compare it to Arsenal you know it just everyone seems to be singing off the same hinge sheet they're all, all there believing like they're all fighting and yeah that's what the celebrations look like to me yeah, I mean, I absolutely loved it, mate. I absolutely loved it. Those those videos going around on Twitter. If you've not seen it, go over to Braga's Instagram or their Twitter. You'll find the videos of, of the scenes when that 98th minute winner goes in. And that's what I was trying to say, Barney, was, you know, it's easy to see this as as a, as kind of a game in which Passos would have been like fighting or trying to get something. But let's not underestimate what every win means for Braga this season when they're trying to keep pace at the top of the table and the unity and passion it showed from that team was really encouraging. I thought this was one of the most, it might seem like a strange game to say this about, but this is one of the games I was most impressed with Braga because Passos were really there to get in their face and make things difficult for them. You know, they were having their own moment. You know, they, you can imagine the team talks going on in the dressing room before that game for Passos where they're trying to get each other up, trying to carry on from the win that they got the week before. And and Braga had to play a great game. They they dealt with everything that Passos threw at them. They they were patient and it was two really good moves. Like you said, two great footballing moves that got them their goal. They were patient. They waited for that opportunity to come because they know knew that if they had the chance to play their football, they would create chances. And, and that first goal, you know, the, the chance just looked so dangerous straight away when when Sakara picks a ball up on the left-hand side and you see the Passos defenders scrambling the, and the Braga forwards are so organised, one gets close to the keeper and people are peeling off for the cutback. It just looks so dangerous. So they were able to create dangerous chances. And, you know, you talk about skill and class. The 98th minute, under so much pressure, Simon Banza picks the ball up in a congested penalty area and has the the has the has sense to just take a second, take the dummy, create a space for himself, whereas most people would have just snatched at the shot and he gives himself an easy chance to get the winner. So, yeah, I was really impressed with Braga and I think this is a win that that is really important for them. Um but let's talk about Passos because I, I was really impressed and you could tell that they were a different team from the one before they got their first win. The first half performance particularly I thought was very good. The b- biggest difference for them for me, Barney, seemed to be psychological. It was all the players playing with a kind of determination and, and self-belief that they haven't played with, I think, all season. They didn't need to be kind of carried by those senior players in the team, although I was very pleased to see Nico Gaitan creating a good chance early on by chasing down a Raga defender. You know, that was great to see from a veteran like him. 
but that the mindset led to a better performance, I think, all over the pitch because you had players making runs that they wouldn't have made a couple of weeks ago. You had players getting shots off that they wouldn't have taken a few weeks ago. For me, that's where the goal comes from. Jordan Holsgrove, we should, you know, give him some credit. Um, a Scottish midfielder scoring in Portugal. It's been a while since we've been able to say that, but it was a great goal that, you know, from outside the box and a half chance that he, he takes and, and it goes in the top corner. So, you know, that's really what I'm trying to get across. This is a team who suddenly had self-belief and and that breeds chances and, and opportunities and that will always get you goals, you know, uh, in the long run. So this game wasn't to be for them. It wasn't, the, you know, perhaps the fairy tale result. They they beat Rio Ave last week, obviously a weaker opponent, and they had to follow that up with a game against a, a much tougher opponent. They would have been hoping for something spectacular for their home fans. It wasn't to be, but I really hope that they will take a lot of confidence from this performance and, and carry that into their next games. I think on the Holesgrove, you know, you had a, a really, really good game. And um, I think they need a player like that in that midfield, you know, with, with Perez and Luis Carlos, you need someone with that that bit of skill. And and, and like you said, he, he certainly showed up for his goal. I mean, that was a, a beautiful finish. And he, and he would have had the best passing accuracy on the pitch with a 94.9% had it not been for uh, Victor Tomena. Rebrago, who got 100% with 64 passes. I'm not sure if that was just square to He's the just centre-back. to a centre-back for 64 <laughs> times. Come on, we've all done it. <laughs> but I, I think like what I liked about Holsgaard as well, you know, he was getting forward to putting in crosses and, and, it, and it will be interesting to see what um, what they do once uh, Macho Giles back because, you know, Macho Giles has been playing it in, almost in that number 10 role sometimes for them as that sort of third midfielder. Whereas I think I like the balance that this midfield three had with, with Pires. Grove and Lewis Carlos. I just felt that that worked a bit better. So, yeah, I mean, I, I've been really waiting for this sort of performance from him. You know, he's, he's sort of, I was going to sort of come with this mystique, you know, as a lot of uh, British players do when they, they, they try and forge critters abroad and, you know, arrive from Spain. It hasn't really done much since he's been in Portugal, but this, you know, this was a really stand-up force. And you saw in the celebrations as well what it meant to him, like, and his teammates, it was, it was great to see. And I think another player, Albert, who's, been a bit of a difference for Passos recently is a uh, Marafana, the, the keeper, the, the experienced yeah. Portuguese keeper. They, they signed from a club in Turkey in the, the beginning of the window. You know, thirty-five years old, but he's improved them as well in that, in that, in that defensively. You know, made some good saves. Um, and I agree with you. I think they are they are going in the right direction. I think the only thing I've got to say is about a team we'll talk about later. But you know, with the win for Maritimo. <laughs> this weekend, it, it just gets yeah. a bit hard, doesn't it? And that would have been gutting for them. But I think in a way, it, it doesn't help because obviously they're in a terrible position and we shouldn't forget that. But in a way, that it, that kind of takes the pressure off because there's no there's no target anymore. There's no there, there's nothing to lose. Do you know what I mean? They've just got to go into every game saying, we've got to try and win this game. They, they, they don't have the luxury of planning their results in a way. They can say, oh, we can afford to lose this one. We can get a point here and aim for this game to get three points. They haven't got that luxury. They just have to go into every game on a game-by-game basis and try and get, you know, everything they can out of the game, which obviously is not great because it means their fate is not in their own hands. But I'm sure the manager and the players, you know, they've brought that manager back knowing there's a good chance he'll be aiming for a promotion push from the Segunda Liga next season. So this season is all about just trying to find the players who are ready to buy into that, you know, trying to fight for for every single point, every single scrap, every single goal that they can. And like I said, in a way that can take the pressure off because you've got nothing to lose. So, you know, that's for me a silver lining perhaps, but it's a you you are right. We have said that they're on good form, but we 
we can't forget that they're in an incredibly difficult position. I've got to say as well, I think um, their, their game with Benfica has been moved to this Thursday and that, uh, by, the, by the league, and that's been to accommodate Benfica's Champions League uh, matches and to sort of make the calendar fixture better for Benfica. Um, but what it does, it means Passos have now got three games in eight dates, you know, there was the one at the weekend, Benfica on Thursday, which might be a write-off, whichever way you look at it. But, you know, even still, it's, it's a game we've got to prepare for. And then bang, back again at the weekend. And I think, you know, the Portuguese Football Federation should be doing what they can to help teams in champion, in, in European tournaments to boost. But then Passos was a team, it just contradicts it because Passos were a team in a European competition, you know, a few seasons ago. And, and it just seems to be like you know the, the, how how they perform in that competition is dying. I, I think it just it just screamed a little bit of the big team being looked after rather than the little team. And for a team like Passos, they need they need every little bit of help they can get. Yeah, I mean the last thing Passos want, you know, they've got their first win of the season. They've had a good game against Braga, and now they've got to play Benfica, where they're probably going to get beat. But then a few days later, they've got Gil Vicente in the league. That's yeah. a big game for them. You know, that's a, another team struggling. That's all. You know, to use the cliche, it's almost a six-pointer, right? So, you know, the last thing they want is the distraction of Benfica midweek. Um, but look, it is what it is. And like I said, I go back to what I said. I'm not excusing it, but they've, they've got no excuses anymore and they've got nothing to lose. So, you know, fuck it. They may as well go out against Benfica and just put the team out and see what they can achieve. Maybe they'll catch Benfica cold. Who knows? And it could be a result that, you know, really boosts their season. But no, I do agree with you. I think it is a shame that they've kind of been had this game thrust on them when when they don't really want it um well look, let's move on to benfica barney they beat uh santa clara 3-0 they made light work of a potentially tricky fixture because going away to the Azores is never easy um goals from frederick alsner's gonzalo ramos and gonzalo gedge on his second debut shall we call it um i think it's pretty typical how we were saying last week that we didn't understand frederick alsner's playing further forward for benfica and then he goes and gets a goal 10 minutes into the next game, which makes me look a bit stupid. But I think in general, it was a very comfortable performance for Benfica. I think really scared. They, they were really tested by Santa Clara. No, but I think the the earliness of the Alistair's goal was was important. You know, just to sort of squash any doubt that may have had yeah. about, you know, this, this sort of tie, which can be difficult for, for some teams. I wanted to talk about Rui Costa, actually, Albert, because, you know, we've... Gonzalo Guedes returning and making an impact in this game. I just think, I think overall for Benfica, I think what Rui Costa has made clear in in this transfer window is, you know, by rebuffing the Enzo advances, bringing in free attacking players, including Gonzalo Guedes, is he's putting the focus on results and, and trophies rather than financial success, right? And I, I think that's going to really pay off for him because Enzo seems to have shaken off any sort of doubt in his mind, you know, since returning from the World Cup about him being here you know this this performance was uh, it was just a showcase game really wasn't it he just doing what he wanted knocking the balls about absolutely sublime passing and Benfica needed that they needed that that, that confidence because they were just pushing Santa Clara all the way back and and, and just at points out they just looked like they were really enjoying themselves weren't they yeah it was that type of game really it almost had shades of an exhibition match and the one thing that interested me was obviously no Rafa in the squad I think he's out injured I think I saw up to four weeks, which is, you know, perhaps before the January transfer window would have been a problem. But now, as you say, that they've brought those players in, they sort of showcased a couple of them in this game in, in Draxler, who 
came in for a rare start and 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 we said might be on his way out because he hasn't quite impressed but i thought he looked pretty decent a very very different player to rafa he seems to have about 10 percent of the mobility but he's still got ability hasn't he he's still got technical ability he, he had some good shots and he's still good with the ball at his feet and of course Gedge got his his goal in his cameo performance maybe that one was was written in the stars but yeah it, it, it's it's really good to see now that they've got cover for a key player as you say that that is so important for a long title I think I mean just to expand a bit more on Gredish because I think it could be the move that guarantees them the league you know I know no team has ever let the the eight point gap go before uh, but but we were talking about a, a dip in form the other week for, and and Braga and Porto are still going strong right behind them and I think um, I think teams have moments and teams have players who step up in what in what at the time might seem like a, an unimportant league game, you know. But at the end of the season, those goals and those points that they won are, are worth their weight in gold. And I fully expect Gredish to be that that player for Benfica, you know. But like you mentioned, the injuries to Rafa, he's the perfect replacement. He's got the qualities to change change games. You know, and I, I think with Benfica, when we're seeing substitutes and, and players fill in for players. It, we sort of sometimes say, "Oh, that they're not really lack. They're not really lacking that excitement, are they?" But in a, in a player like Gredesh, they they've got that player now who can really impact games. Absolutely, it's definitely a position that we were saying just last week that they needed. So, yeah, fantastic signing. How about I got? A, I have got a couple of things about Santa Clara. <laughs> Gabriel Silva, number forty nine, looks good. He's had a few chances. <laughs> he's good at the ball. And it's not the first time I said that this season. He looks like a nice little player, but. Um, but then I had a little look on their on their transfer market players page, and they've brought in twenty four players to the squad this season, new players. And I remember texting you the other week when I saw their lineup, just like last week, I think, and I was saying I did, didn't recognise anyone in the team, right? And I, and I, the reason I bring it up is just to highlight sort of the difficulties that they're going through, the sort of the, the vast changes in this team, and they've dipped into the Japanese market again and brought in central midfielder Masao. Who I, I imagine were part of Victor Bobson in the midfield, and you know could Tago Ellery done it as as Marita did a, a few seasons ago, but you never know. And it's just this weird team, aren't they? Of, of players from all over the place, and, and and so many changes. We we've had similar conversations in the past about family account with Barney about their kind of transfer strategy being quite sporadic and not always landing. It does seem that they're having trouble integrating that squad with so many new signings. Perhaps we've ordered this show in the wrong way this week because this is the second time I've mentioned Marisma's win, which we're yet to discuss, but we will later. Um, but of course, the big thing about that is it puts Marisma, who a few weeks ago looked pretty dead and buried at the bottom of the table with Passos, who are now one point behind Santa Clara. So I think that's a really, really worrying sign. Um, they went for George Simao as a manager. I can't remember if we discussed that on the podcast before. Not a manager that really fills fills me with, with with great optimism, but someone we know can can get his teams to be kind of solid and and well organised. Um, it is going to be a tough tough old season for Santa Clara, and, and they are in real danger of um, of getting sucked into the relegation battle. Even obviously they're already in the relegation playoff spot, but uh, you know Marita Mara team on the up perhaps even Passos coming into form are Santa Clara a team on the up can we really say that I, I don't think so so yeah definite cause to be worried for them at the moment well look, let's do the last of the big four games Barney let's talk about Porto um, they beat Vittoria 1-0 away in Gemarais this was a game that we thought could be one of the choice ties of the weekend but 
to be honest, ended up being quite disappointing. Um, it was a well-taken goal by Joao Mario. Uh, that was the only goal that separated the two teams. I think, for me, on balance, Porto had a better side with more chances, but they didn't look especially clinical in this game. It's not the first time I've said that about them this season. Not the first time they've played a game where they haven't quite clicked, but, you know, got the result that they needed. Um, and perhaps that's credit to Vittoria as well, Barney, maybe for containing them, for limiting them to only half chances. But, yeah, a game which I thought had a lot of potential, but didn't really live up to it, in my opinion. No, no, and I, I, I think you're right there when you say Vittoria made it difficult, but also I think, you know, Vittoria's fan has made it difficult. I think it's been a few years now where I feel like Corso haven't enjoyed coming here. You know, do you know what I mean? It's it's it's, it's not an easy place for him to go. I mean, João Mario's goal was absolutely delightful for Alba, and I think he's been a... I've been underwhelmed by him so far this season. I was waiting for him to be the their nutshell player to explode on the scene at Porto. You know, I think he had such a promising start to his career when he when he found that right back spot as a, an option for him. And and I feel like he's in a, a good bit of form at the moment. And perhaps he's now settled with that partnership of Otavio on that right hand side. You know, knowing that he can be the width, he can be the overlap. You know, that seems to be a thought getting stronger and stronger. That understanding. Because I feel like fullbacks are quite a, an interesting position for players to, to break through at, and, and I don't think that there's that many good quality. You know, we've discussed on the podcast before good quality fullbacks in in this league at the moment. But Jao Murray is one of them. He's, he's he's a really good player, and I, I like his crossing. I like his the way he gets up and, and supports the attack. And so yeah, I was, I was really good from to see them make the impact he did in this game. I think he's been good in recent weeks. Actually, I, I've watched Porto quite a lot in recent weeks, and. He, I think it's worth praising him when he's in good form because obviously he does get a bit of stick when he, when he's not playing well. Um, so I have, th- I do think he's been in good form. You know, there's there's no doubt that he's Porto starting right back now. Um, I would love to see him kick on, man. I've, I've got a lot of time for João Mario. I really want him to be one of those players that that does well from the new team. And it was a really good goal, really well taken goal. You know, he's shown he's got ability. So yeah, really happy for him. I thought in the second half, Albert, I think Porto started to results to hitting long balls you know attacking Vittoria's back line playing Vine directly which I think is a problem Vittoria have had for a little while now you know I think that's that's one of their back line's weaknesses in the A when you've got Bamba or uh, Amara I think sometimes they, they can be a little suspect but I but then I think the reason I'm bringing this point up is because I think once again we perhaps saw a little lack of creativity from Porto you know they, they were sort of running out of ideas for how to break down Vittoria's defence because you know Vittoria are in a a bit of a rough patch, you know. They've had, they haven't been very good since the return of the World Cup. You know, we've seen some changes in the team since their um, that return. Uh, the most significant for me is it's the return of Maga. You know, uh, and I'm I'm not conflicted on Maga, but I think it's a really interesting case out because he was the one player that I thought would have, you know, at the beginning of the season was going to be one of the key players for Victoria. You know, such promise, such a we saw great glimpses at the end of last season. But then he got that injury early on and the, the form of that development that was building has suddenly been stopped, right? But the player who came in for him, Zay Carlos, in my mind, has arguably been one of the most consistent players for Vittoria. You think about what he offers and when they're getting forward, that width, that pace. And looking now, I realise that how important he was, he is, perhaps even more important than Maga was. And so with Zay Carlos out injured and Maga, <laughs> Maga filling in, it'll be very interesting to see who come when C Carlos is fit, who gets that spot? Because yeah, I think the the changes that they've been forced to make in it since since the winter break has perhaps stuttered their their progress because they were sort of pushing on before the World Cup. 
Absolutely. And good for them to have depth, you know, it's a good problem to have struggling to choose a right back. You know, we've spoken so many times about the poor options that they've had in defence. So for once to have, you know, two good options in one position is a good thing to have. And, and once again, I thought they had other good players come on the pitch. Like when Bamba came on, I thought, again, he, he's kind of showed his his class and showed why he's uh, perhaps, in, in my mind, at least a, a step above some of those other players on the pitch. So... So yeah, obviously it's not a great time to be a Vittoria fan because they they haven't gotten results recently. But I don't think you know this is a, a team kind of in free fall like we we've, we've spoken about in seasons, in perhaps even last season. You know, I think there's still quality in the side and, and still better form and consistency to come for Vittoria in in coming weeks. And I think you know we've just been talking about uh, an important move for Brock. I was sort of getting the three points over the line. Yeah, same for Porto in this game. Yeah, yeah. They, you know, they they needed the win. They got it. And they got the job done. Does this ever happen to you? You're trying to watch a soccer game, but your attention span is so bad that you'd rather just listen to a podcast about it? Does this ever happen to you? You see a crazy goal or transfer rumor wondering what four Portuguese Canadian brothers slash cousins have to say about the very same thing? If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, you need to tune into our podcast, The Portugal Corner, where we talk about the good, the bad, and the funny of all things Portuguese soccer. Whether it's the Premier Liga, national team, or leagues around the world, we cover it all. You can subscribe to The Portugal Corner on all major podcasting platforms, including Spotify and Apple Podcasts. So come check us out. We're always having a good time. Just a word from our friends at the Portugal Corner podcast there. It's a podcast that me and Barney have loved for a long time now. And, and I know a lot of our listeners uh, already subscribe to them. So definitely go and subscribe to them if you don't already, because they give a really, uh, really engaging and, and humorous take on not just the Portuguese league, but uh, any league where there are Portuguese players active, you know, England, Spain, France, uh, many leagues that we don't cover. So we definitely recommend giving them a listen. Uh, and what I like how it is that, you know, they've got a few, they've got a Couple of Benfica fans, they got a Porto fan, they got a Sporting fans. So you get some good, some good discussions, good balanced <laughs> discussions. <laughs> yeah, absolutely, definitely Sometimes. one place to go and check those guys out. There'll be a link to their podcast in the description uh, of this week's episode if you need that. Um, well, let's move on, Barney. We said at the top of the show we had some big games from further down the table to discuss. Um, we also said last week that we had to give some time and attention to Aruka after really going under the radar and having a great season so far. I said I was going to make a point of watching their game on Friday night and they did not disappoint with a huge 4-0 win over Portsmouth in a game which they completely dominated. And For me, this was definitely the game of the weekend, not necessarily because of the highest standard of football on show, but in terms of the result and in terms of the performance, for me, this has to go down as game of the week. Ah, oh, man, yeah, it was... It's, it was a re- such a good performance for Ruka, and yeah, I've been excited to to, to talk about him this week out. But I've I've done a bit of, of research because I, w- I really wanted to shine a light on a Amanda Evangelista, you know, the, the manager. So it was a hundredth game in charge for this game actually, and the work he's done at Ruka is, is nothing short of remarkable. But I mean, I mean, firstly, I didn't realize they're the only team left in all three domestic competitions. You know, that, that that's quite surprising. But the, but it's the positive football that they're playing. And um, he, he did an interview for Spanish newspaper Amarco, um 
this week where he, he talks about his career in Portugal, you know, breaking the mould and becoming one of the, the first youth coaches in Portugal, Portugal to make that jump to managing the men's team with Vitoria as, as recently as 2015. But specifically on Aruca, he talked about, which I found most interesting, is how there's been, there's no transfer budget there at all. But not only that, is it's what he's realised the reality of this country's transfer market is for for homegrown players and the difficulties within that market, whether it's one of the big three hoovering up all the young talent and using them for their B teams or even using you know slightly older players as, as fringe squad players who, who barely get minutes. And then, and then you look at the rest of the league and the, the merry-go-round of not quite good enough talent we see year after year. But with Aruko, Evangelis has had to look abroad for players and opportunities of free agents. You look at Wallace Silla, who's been excellent in midfield for them, you know, this season coming from Guinea. Um, but then perhaps the most obvious example of unearthing talent in places you might usually find it is is Ode Daba, the Palestinian striker. You know, his, his, his six goals this season, two in this game, uh, have come from an XG of 3.9. And, you know, only Yakuba Aziz is a better goal to XG return. You know, Daba is finding goals from difficult chances and putting them away. He, he's a perfect example of the, the magic that Evangelista has done with Rook and the players that the squad he's put together. Yeah, I mean, the bag's been fantastic. He's funny. He's been a player I've kind of tried to follow ever since he joined from Rook because I'm not really aware of many other Palestinian footballers at all. And it's funny because he's one of those players who seems to have a kind of loyal army of fans who follow him around every club. And, and I remember earlier in the season when he wasn't really starting for Aruka that Every time they posted their um, posted their their lineup for a game on Twitter, they would have you know two likes, one retweet, and then twelve comments from Palestinian football fans saying, "Why aren't you starting the bag?" But he's been fantastic, as you say, in recent weeks. Um, it's the second time in, in in three games that he scored two goals in a game. It's brilliant. He told us about those six goals. That's six goals from seven starts this season. You know, those are really really good stats. So the guy's proven that he that he can finish and. Um, I think he's kind of emblematic of this team of kind of, in a way, kind of misfits, you know, or or, or players who maybe didn't fit in elsewhere and, and, and Evangelist is getting the most out of them. Um, we talk about him a lot, but a friend of the show, Jamie Farr, does a weekly uh, figure of the week column for Portugal.net. He talked about Armando Evangelista this week and it was yet another really excellent article that I recommend everyone go and check out. We retweeted on our Twitter page if you want to go and find it. Um, but it, it's just fantastic work that Evangelist is doing, that this Aruka team are doing. Um, I can't remember. I'd have to go back to our first show of the season. I think it's two seasons in a row we've, we've kind of, yeah. at least one of us has picked them to be relegated. And that's based on, you know, the size of the the size of this team, you know, the transfer budget or lack of that they have and the squad that they've assembled. But there's fantastic players in that in that team, and and when you've got a team of players playing for each other and playing for their manager, that's something that you can't buy. I know it sounds cheesy, but it's true. You know, you can you can spend loads of money, and I think Santa Clara are a team finding this out. But you can spend a bunch of money on on a load of players and not necessarily get them to gel. But what teams like Aruka have done, what teams like Vizela as well, to their credit, have also done, is uh, build teams with 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 players who buy into a a manager's philosophy, and I think they've absolutely reaped the benefits of that this season they they look absolutely fantastic you know what I loved about this performance was that they were on top from from minute one you know it might be easy to say that uh they only got the win because Porto has got a man son off but they were 2-0 up 
uh, with 11 men on the pitch and they could easily have been 3-0 up in the first half. Uh, they got two goals in the second half after Porto Menendez's red card uh, and they were just completely relentless. They were playing direct football and I think, you know, when you say someone's playing direct football, that can on, sometimes seem like a, a, a dirty word, you know, a, a shameful thing. But when I say direct, I don't just mean hitting long balls up towards the target, man. I just mean, you know, it's just no bullshit with Avruka, you know. They just go, look, if we're going to win this game, it's a it's a game of uh, percentages. We're going to get the boards dangerous areas as much as we can. We might not have the quality of some teams, but, you know, Evangelist to trust his players. And, and I think that's what they did so well, getting the board into dangerous areas time and time again. Let's be totally honest, if they had more quality in the sideline, they would have had a lot more goals because they got into dangerous positions many times and couldn't capitalise on it. But they did it so many times against Portman and they pressed them really well and they were rewarded with a great win and and, and they totally deserved it. Well, you say that they'd get more goals out, but they've scored the fifth most goals in the league this season, you know, with 22. That, that's, that's, I was quite surprised when I realised that, you know, and, and that's with 10 different goal scorers. And because there has been you know, regular rotations team as well. It's not just a set 11 that Evangelista goes with. Um, I mean, Adam Ruiz is perhaps, you know, one of the mainstays in there and he's been playing great football in that number 10 role. I, I really like him. Andre Bakayo as well looks like he's on his way out and, and and as good as he's been on the wing for parts of the season, you know, they've replaced him instantly with uh, Benji Michael who's arrived from the MNS who got his, you know, debut goal in this game. And, but it's, it's not only the attack, oh, it's, it's, they have conceded a lot of goals right this season, but that's partly due to big losses against Porto, which was 4-0, and Braga, which was 6-0. If you look at the rest of their games this season, they've generally been pretty solid, and, and, and that's thanks to the improvement of the defensive line. You know, Thiago's guy, um, Apuku, who, who was even out of this game, and then uh, his replacement did an excellent job as well. Yeah, they've, they've definitely gone on the radar, and I think Evangelista as well has certainly gone on the radio, radar in terms of the job he's doing. I think... Perhaps to round off this channel, Rupert, in, in this interview I was reading about Albert Evangelista was sort of when asked about his future with the club and potentially other clubs in, in the league, he was very level-headed and very like, you know, I'm not going to rush into anything. I'm going to take my time. I'm going to finish the job I, I'm here to do. And I really hope he does that. Absolutely. I, I hope so too. We've got to talk about Portsmouth ends though, Barney, because... They were absolutely dreadful, and, and that is the flip side to all this positive chat we're having about Aruga, which is that Porto Menendez were there for the taking. Aruga did a really good job of, of taking advantage of their weaknesses, but I've I've written down, Barney, that I think this is one of the worst team performances we've seen this season, including all of the ones from Passos earlier in the season. They were completely, completely woeful, absolutely dreadful. The first goal was just calamitous defending. The second is um, a dreadful mistake from the keeper. I don't know what he's doing there. They get the player sent off. Sec is forced to handle the ball just to prevent a, a Ruka counter-attack because he knows that could put them 3-0 down. He gets sent off and they lose 4-0 anyway, so it's probably a waste of time, but it just summed up their whole performance. And, you know, sometimes we laugh at these kind of performances because it's you know almost a joke how bad it was, but... It's almost sad to see Portsmouth playing this badly. They've been they've been on a downward spiral, I think, uh, this season. And this is a team that in the past we've we've held great hopes for. That a team that's been in the fight for Europe last season, a team that I think, given their location, has got great potential to be much bigger than they are. But they're they're just in, in terrible form, and and it's 
unforgivable this type of performance the defence are really poor in this game and uh, and you know players that I've praised previously Real Vaz, Pedro DRB all, all had shockers right but I think if we're looking at Portsmouth as a whole and, and whether, whether you're really true is Albert is I'm going to bring expected goals up again because I'm <laughs> sorry to do it, but if if we look at the expected table, which rather than takes into account the goals actually scored, it takes into account the expected goals and the expected goals again. So if if we look at the table for the league, Autumn Lens would be up in fifth, right? And what that shows you is that they just aren't scoring their chances. The problem is in the attack. They brought in Brian Rochez uh, to help with that. He hasn't scored a single goal. Diego Carrillo, who hasn't scored since his fifth, famous gun celebration Ricardo Matos <laughs> has, has, has really failed to make any sort of breakthrough right and so I think Paolo Sergio you know that it would suggest the football's there potentially but they're just really struggling in front of goal and I think you know because we, we do quite often praise the defenders who, who have good games you know we we have praised Nakamura the keeper usually you know forget that game against Benfica he was phenomenal but in this game a couple of bad mistakes so, you know, I, I don't think, as weird as it seems to be talking about a team of just us 4-0, I, I don't think we need to be looking at the defence as the issue at Portsmouth. The, the, the issue really is in the attacking line and the lack of goals and the goal, the chances they're not putting away. I think Nakajima was a big loss, actually. I think they missed that type of player, that type of creative player. Um, I think the strike that I hold the most hope for with Portsmouth is still Ricardo Matos. I know I've spoken about him before, but He's just never, he's never quite got going. He's had big injuries. Um, but when he's played, I thought he's looked pretty good. So he would be the striker that um, I helped most hope for. Diego Carriello, maybe it's for the best if he doesn't keep scoring, if he's going to celebrate the way he celebrated <laughs> last time. Um, well, look, let's let's move on, Barney, do another game. Because I think Maritimo beating Estoril was another huge game at the bottom of the table. It was only their third win of the season. And... This is worth saying, Barney. It was their second win in three games. You know, two of their three wins this season have come uh, under their new manager, Jose, Jose Gomez. The other win under him was that famous 1-0 win over Sporting. This was another 1-0 win, uh, this time against Estoril at home. They scored in the third minute and basically hung on for dear life until the 101st minute. But if you're going to survive in this league from the position that they're in, Getting three points in the manner they, they did is absolutely vital and all credit to them for it. Yeah, yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think it was um, Rene Santos, the centre-back, who, who is returning to Marito, having uh, left a, a couple of summers ago, you know, with that goal. Such an important goal. I thought it was a, a lovely assist from um, Paolo Moreno, the Spanish striker I know for Man City. You know, that was that was nice to see him show a bit of, a bit of what he might be able to offer. But... Um, I, you know, I, looking at the highlights, I, I thought the the Marito looked like they were creating a better chances before they went down to ten men. You know, it it, it was a bit positive for us, but I think overall, I think you're right to say, you know, that their defence grinding out the, the the win was was vitally important. And I think the other sense about Moises Mascara looks like a, a, a decent little sense about for Marito. He's a 21 year old Colombian promoted from their B team uh, this summer. He's currently currently ranked ninth in the league for tackles per game and first in the league for interceptions per game. You know, he, he really helped his team alongside Rene Santos, the experienced centre-back, hang on to the three points of this game. This was this was the massive from Rui Swear. Yeah, and I think, you know, we mentioned it already earlier in the show, but this is a win that puts them one point behind Santa Clara, which considering the position they were in before the World Cup is 
um, a real turnaround. And you have to give credit to Jose Gomez for that. You know, we criticised Marita Mo's board when they employed Joel Henriquez. Um, but I think then we then have to give them credit for finding someone who does seem to be there for a good manager. I'm not familiar with him at all, to be totally honest with the listeners. I'm sure there are listeners out there who know more about him than I do. But um, he he seems to be um, doing good things. I have to say, Bonnie, maybe I'm just blinded by the fact that he looks really good in a suit. And perhaps that kind of instills a bit of confidence uh, in me. But he just looks like the real deal. He looks like he's committed. He looks like he's passionate. And he's you know, getting results out of this team that just a few weeks ago we, we thought were impossible. So um, really, really positive to see Maritimo doing better. Now they've got a chance of survival, you know. We were we were asking questions, we were answering questions from from listeners, you know, earlier on in the season about uh, do Maritimo and Passos have any chance of survival? And we were saying, well, you know, almost laughing about it, like they probably don't, but who knows if they get a couple of wins, suddenly it looks better. Well, there you go. Two wins in five games. That's fantastic. And suddenly it does look better. So, you know, that win will do wonders for Marie tomorrow and, and, and their fight for survival. Long way to go. Let's not forget that. But they're in a fight now. We were saying earlier about Passos Barney that they're almost, you know, not in a fight. They're not in control of their own destiny. The thing Marie tomorrow have is, is that they are now more in control of their own destiny than, than they would have expected a few games ago. So absolute credit to them for that. All right, well, let's do one last game, Barney. Let's do Gilles Vicente versus Casapia, a game which Gilles Vicente won 3-1, I have to say, against what I would have predicted. I thought Casapia were a team in good form and Gilles Vicente were a team in bad form, and therefore this had all the re- makings of a Casapia win. But it was another excellent win for Gilles Vicente, Barney. Um, I haven't got much to say on the game, but I do want to read you this from our friends at Gilles Vicente Info on Twitter. They say, with Daniel Souza in charge at Gilles Vicente, uh, they achieved nine points from a possible 12 in the Portuguese league. Only Braga and Porto have a better points total in the league since the World Cup. Now, that is a fantastic accolade for a manager who didn't come in with great fanfare, not somebody that we expected to, that we really knew about when he came into the job. There were bigger names, Daniel Ramos and other bigger names who've achieved things in the league that we thought might come in. But he's come in and he's done a fantastic job. And this was another fantastic win. Again, that perhaps wasn't quite expected. Uh, I mean, yeah, I, I really wanted to focus a little bit on Daniel Seuss there because I really like what he's doing. You know, I, I wrote down that they seem to be playing their football again. You know, uh, you know, really good combinations and rotations on each ring. You know, Carassa helping out on that right and, and, and merging with Mario, working really well. Some amazing direct passing as well in behind Casapia's back line, which... They really struggled up with, and I wonder if Daniel Souza sort of identified that as their defensive weakness because, you know, Casapia have only conceded three goals in a single game once this season, and that was against Sporting. Conversely, Gilles Vicente have only scored more than one goal in a game three times this season. This was the first time they scored three goals in a game. So, you know, Daniel Souza has really turned things around for them. He was, you know, looking into his history, he was, this is his first managerial job, really. He's previously been a a match analyst for Andre Villas-Boas as he went through his career and then assistant manager when he uh, Villas-Boas was at Marseille. So this is a, a great opportunity for him and I think what we're seeing from the early signs, you know, players like Fujimoto are looking great again. You know what I mean? Ali Alapo is doing well and then, and then of course, you have Fran Navarro in your team and he's just on fire and so it, it, it's all looking very, very good. I mean, for any team outside the top four, having Fran Navarro on your side is a, is a bit of a cheat code really. 
He scored two goals in this game. That puts him up to 11 goals in the league. He's second in the top scorer charts for a team which is, you know, for all intents and purposes, a mid-table side. He continues to be uh, a standout player in this league, one of the best strikers in the division. Um, obviously, he gets a few tap-ins, but if you go back and watch the highlights, you know, at least one of his goals is a really well-worked solo well, sat, goal. Good. Sat two players down. Sits two players down and puts the ball in the back of net. Great goal. So, you know, really good for Gilbert Sense to be back on form. And, and of course, when you've got a player like Fran Navarro on your side, it, it, it doesn't hurt things, does it? I think the only thing I've got to say about Casadero is that, you know, it, it's been a, little, a few bad performances, but, you know, it, two red cards in the last three games sort of helps. Perhaps, you know, as soon as a red card goes out, the system sort of falls apart, you know, filling minds. So, and, and, and let's be fair, some they were bound to have a drop and fall at some point, you know, after a fantastic start to the season. Important for them to bounce back, though, I think. Important for them to to get a win in the next game and, uh, yeah, and prove that this is just a blip. Well, that does bring us nicely on to the end of the show. We're going to look towards next week's fixtures, but first, a quick rundown of all the results from this weekend. The only games that we didn't cover this on this week's show were Family Cow versus Real Ave, which ended 0-0, and Boavista versus Shabbos on Monday night. That ended 1-1. Well, look, well, that brings us nicely to the end of the show. And as you know, we like to leave everyone with a game of the week recommendation for some football that they might want to watch this weekend. Now, this weekend's an interesting one because none of the big three are playing until Wednesday. So this really is one for the purists. If this is a weekend when you're uh, trying to get your Premier League fixed, but your usual team isn't playing, well, this is the perfect time to maybe dig into some football from some of the smaller teams. It doesn't start till Sunday, but on Sunday, you've got four games that you can choose from. Casapia versus Santa Clara and Brazella versus Rio Ave kickoff at 3.30. You've then got Boa Vista versus Porto Menendez at 6 and Family Cal versus Estoril at 8.30. And of course, the football continues on Monday and Tuesday uh, with Victoria, Chaves, Pass and Gilles Vicente all playing. Barney, if you had to pick one of those games for our listeners to watch, which one would you recommend? I think certainly Pass us to Freire 0% on the, on the Tuesday night. I think that 7 o'clock, that would be a great little game. Um, I'm tempted by Victoria Shabs as well, but on the Monday night because I feel like we we haven't talked about Shabs enough, but they're they're an interesting team. Victoria Grash aren't in great form. That could be a, a nice little matchup as well. Absolutely, I think Pastor Ferreira versus Gil Vicente is looking like a really big game. Not technically a weekend because it is a Tuesday. I think that's pushing it. You know, usually we get away with the Monday night. That's the long weekend. Um, so if you did want something to watch on Sunday, you know, you could watch games all through the day. But I think the pick of the the weekend of the weekend's fixtures for me will be Family Cow versus Estoril. Family Cow, another team that we haven't spoken much about, but starting to get into interesting form on Estoril. I don't know why, I've just got a feeling that that will be an interesting matchup between those teams. That's at 8.30pm on Sunday. So plenty of great football for you to watch. And of course, the big three are back in action on Wednesday. Me and Brian will have to work out what we're going to do for next week's podcast. It might be later in the week so that we can cover all the fixtures. Um, so keep your eye on our socials for uh, an update on that but that does bring us to the end of the show thank you very much for listening and if you enjoyed the show you could leave us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts or leave us a star rating on Spotify if you want to get in contact with us you can find us on Twitter at LowballFootball but that just leaves me to say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week yes see you next week